Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. That's... Yeah, <laughs> they have asked for that, really. Well, you can laugh. I want to walk up. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. Considering he got sacked with eight games of the season to go after nearly ten years at the club, you could forgive Sean Dyche if he didn't feel like he wanted to really be Burnley's number one fan in their final push to avoid relegation from the Premier League. But I must say, he did a pretty good job of sounding like he wanted them to stay up during his world-exclusive interview with Richie on the players' chair last week. That was just one of the many highlights of our trip to London, which culminated in one of our favourite live shows of all time, in front of the best crowd you could possibly wish for. The only low light. Well, I'm That it had silly. to end on. That it had nah, to end. That I, that I had to pay £35 in Frank Lampard's pub for three beers and a sparkle <laughs> water. But listen, I'll stop banging on about that at some stage, I'm sure. Uh, well, the guy, I, I the hope guy has so. to make a living. You know? yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and he's, he's making a hell of a living, Odd. No oh, about that. a hell of a trip that was. Hey, Ken. Owen, how are you doing? What a crowd, Kieran. What a crowd at the Earth Theatre in Hackney. Yeah. Bloody nice bunch of people. It was. It was. The hall was big, on. It was... I don't want to say it was intimidating, but it was pretty <laughs> intimidating. It was an intimidatingly sized hall, an intimidatingly sized stage even. It felt like, yeah. at, at, you know, looking around, it, it felt like we were maybe like 300 to 400 metres away from our production team uh, that were also on the stage. Uh, but it was. It it's was a big production, yeah. A lot of was, cans being opened, a lot of cans of beer, which were, were being served and then being I mean, ostentatiously opened. Yeah. Based on the bar take... There must have been at least three thousand cans, mm. and you know if if the show, including intermission from sort of start to finish, took around one hundred and fifty minutes, that's a ring pull every three seconds. <laughs> it sounded <laughs> it, like it, that. It felt like that. It did feel oh. like that at times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just getting into something really poignant here, and then it's like. Ksh- <laughs> Let me get myself settled here. Are people taking the piss? You know, literally, yeah. it sounded as though the crowd was mocking. Yeah. Well, Shane Horgan made the point that people, uh, people's personality types could be garnered from the sound they made. There were some just real quiet <laughs> ones, really like trying ones. to be nice. <laughs> yeah, real careful. And then some just, I don't give a fuck. <laughs> I've got like a gallon-sized can here, and I'm not afraid to open it. That's what it yeah. sounded like. Yeah. Parts yeah. of it. Yeah. 
Oh man, good times. Shane Duffy was among our guests at that one. Richie was there too. But Richie still found time to get to Nottingham the day before to meet with his old mate Daishi, who was the guest on the very first episode of The Player's Chair. You might remember that a few years ago. This one was an amazing interview during the week. Was just I, I could not get over how relaxed Daish was in Richie's company, old teammates at Millwall, of course. Daish was making the point that he wants the club to stay up because he feels that that is actually what will add to the legacy. So in another 10 years' time, they're still a Premier League club. Fans look back and say, oh, Daish and his lot, they're the ones who built the foundations for this. So that's that's what, he, that's what he's saying anyway. Um, he also gave his own version of events around the Everton stuff, the one of his final, his final game in charge. And the Everton match well, after Burnley. No, of course, they then lost more, in March. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, he had, these don't know how to win, lads, mm. is what he revealed to his players. And he, he's tried to clarify that. He says he, he confirmed what Lampard had said, uh, which was that he contacted Lampard to try to clear all that up. And he also talked about the sack. There's loads, absolutely loads of stuff. There's no, no point trying to summarise the whole interview. But I'll play you one clip here. This is Daesh talking about the sacking itself, how he found out, and then how he relayed the news to his players. Alan uh, Pace, I like to say, no lack of respect for Alan. Good guy. Had an open conversation uh, during so he, the whole time. He rings you, says... No, just says, good to meet you in the morning. Obviously, you, you are thinking, hmm, that's peculiar, an early morning meeting. Is that what you thought? Yeah, of course. I was in the gym. I saw him walk past the window. I said, yeah, I'll be up in one minute. Just come out of the gym, walked up. Very simple, civil conversation. Going to make a change. Okay, you've known me a long time. So yeah. I don't know, you know, I'm not one to collapse in heap and, and all that. You know, of course, over time, when I look back, there'll be an emotional viewpoint of my time at Burnley because of what was achieved. Right? But at the moment, it's still pretty fresh. It's still pretty real. Therefore, I'm like, okay, is everything going to be looked after sensibly? Yes. I said, no problem at all. Is, is that like you make that, a, that it's like a five or ten minute exchange? Is it? Oh, no, it's less than that. Because wow. there's a maturity. I just said, look, if, if it's okay with you, I'd like to conduct the morning meeting with the staff. I'd like to speak to the players. He said, yep, absolutely. I said, lads, just to let you know, we're done. I'd like to thank you all for all your work for the varying stages of my career here. Um, I wish you well. Go and win on Saturday. Shook their hands. Disappeared. Bye. Okay, you, you you're, you're describing a scenario which would have taken 25 seconds. Plus the handshake. Yeah, probably, yeah, probably with handshakes about a couple of minutes. <laughs> Emotional, eh? Jeepers, that is cold all round. <laughs> couple of handshakes. Uh, th- uh, sorry, man, I'm, I'm sacked now. I'm, I'm... He texted his family as well. And he said, he texted his family and said, been sacked. I'll catch you in due course. In due course. <laughs> So this okay. is, yeah, it's, you know, 10 years, not <laughs> much emotion. Uh, certainly not much overt emotion. Ah, uh, what more is there to oh, say? Right. I know, I know. I'm not, it's you perhaps not surprising want. that it's always going to feel cold and brutal when it ends. But mm. uh, we've got a pretty clear example of that. So that full interview is available now on the World Service. So is our Shane Duffy chat on stage in Hackney. And thanks again to Aer Lingus for getting us over there. And to all of our London listeners for making it such a special occasion. Dion Fanning. And Gavin Cooney coming up on today's show after your report on sport, Kenny. Well, Owen, um, I, I'm surprised that you didn't ask me if I had a good time myself. You, you only seem to be interested in Kieran's opinion. <laughs> well, I know you had a good time. I just I saw. I did. No, no, no. I did. No, I, no, I, I did have a good time. I had a very Go jump time. to conclusions on. You know, Ken is a mystery wrapped inside a riddle, wrapped <laughs> inside an enigma. Who knows? Who knows what, what he thinks at any given moment? I realise I hadn't been in London for like three years and I hadn't been in Brexit Britain unless you count Northern Ireland which you know debatable uh, I hadn't been in Brexit Britain at all since you know their their Declaration of Independence mm. which meant that I was surprised by the duty free the real duty free I almost was 
like regretting that I didn't still smoke. There were such incredible bargains on offer. <laughs> uh, in uh, so it was, you know, I I I got uh, I tasted the benefits of freedom, uh, at least, and uh, I I really enjoyed being in London. Actually, I was like, this place, you know, you know what a good thing to do is in London. Just walk around it. Mm. Yeah. Maybe just mm. don't don't always be diving for the under underground. Uh, you know, I hate I hate the um, being underground, and you know, kind of walking around those huge tunnels with like you know in huge crowds of people. It just kind of I, I don't know. I, f- I don't think if, I don't know if anybody enjoys that. It's yeah, a necessary but, evil. You know, there are, I'm sure there are plenty of. I mean, you, I don't think you can live in London without like you know being able to being able to handle that. Um, you know, it's it's something that I think a lot of Londoners just sort of. Uh, deal with um me i like the fresh air on and uh that's why this time i walked around walking you know it's underrated i didn't i didn't used to do enough of it i didn't mm. used to do enough of it in the old days i used to think well it's too far to walk it's never too far to walk <laughs> just get just get you'd be surprised how quickly you get there and i was walking around uh, having a good time thinking yeah you know where London. did you walk, Kent? Where, where was I while you were doing all this walking, all this prodigious walking? I just did a, just did a bunch of walks, uh, Murph. I don't know, I don't know what you were doing. You you were you were in your hotel room, I think. Mm. Were you not? I was. You were in your hotel room, and I was. I was probably uh, just on the internet, Murph. I <laughs> <laughs> uh, was living life. No, it was it was very nice. It was, it was great, and uh, hopefully it won't be three years before I'm back there. That's my yeah. anyway. Owen, thanks for asking me about that. No, I'm glad to. I'm glad to hear that. I, I, I really regret not asking you now. Um, so where are we? Also in London, but not enjoying it as much as me. Uh, Pep Guardiola, uh, just a stone's throw on from where we I were. I knew there was. I knew that to be a segue. Just that a stone's chat. throw um, from where we were. Much. Ken City. doesn't usually open up on his feelings unless there's a segue in mind. On and then uh, uh, our suspicions were proved correct there. He went again. to the London Stadium and he came with back with a point and he described the situation Manchester City are in now as an incredible privilege. Um, after you know they they now have one game to win the league, but of course they had one penalty to win the league against West Ham and that penalty did not go in. And I was only watching this that I realised. The, the, I thought Fabianski saved a few recently and looks at the statistics Fabianski is the greatest penalty stopper in the history of the Premier League oh go on he's, he's, he has saved 13 penalties in the, in the <laughs> Premier League according to um, transfer marks although 11 according to the Premier League so I can only conclude 11 is still the most that anyone's done like the next was like Eurelio Gomez had 9 Rob Green a West Ham legend in his day had 9 um, Ben Foster at nine, um, stick around and play a lot of games, and you will eventually save some penalties, but not as many as Fabianski unless you're extraordinarily good. Fabianski has, I think, a sixty-eight percent. Uh, you've got a sixty-eight percent chance of scoring a penalty against Fabianski, which is pretty good because the average uh, is eighty-three percent of penalties converted uh, in the Premier League. Oh, so he this is, is impressive. Yeah, he's significantly outperforming. So, so this is a guy who it just. I thought this is kind of amazing that, like, at this moment, City found this guy barring their path. You know what I mean? It's kind of like um, the whole the whole game yesterday just had a lot in it, which uh, I don't think this is going to be a nice week for Manchester City at all. As they, uh, you know, it's like a game against Aston Villa at home. It's so easy. It's so easily winnable when you're Manchester City. They have just been chewing up the likes of Aston Villa. You know, this is just not a game that's going to cause problems. But like, 
the West Ham game has not been a game that's caused them any problems either, really. You know, since Guardiola's been the manager, this is a game they usually win. But here they are, they arrive at West Ham and they're missing key defensive players. And this is like, you know, City have kind of have been pretty quiet about this. Um, you know, in terms of like, it's not like they've been sort of hysterically sort of squawking saying, oh, you know, this is a disaster. Like, how? oh my God, how are we going to get through these games without, but like most of their defense has been, has, is gone. <laughs> like, like, like Kyle Walker and Ruben Diaz are between, are only two of the four regular back four players, but they are more than half of the defense in terms of what they, what they actually provide. I mean, Cancelo is like, Cancelo is a playmaker. You know what I mean? Cancelo is a, is a really attacking fullback. Yeah. Walker is the one whose job it is to sweep behind the defense in this in this huge space, and Diaz is like the guy who provides the power in the center of defense. And in and instead, and Stones is out as well. Stones would be playing in instead of either of those guys if he, but he's actually injured. So instead, they've got Laporte, who is like a conductor. You know, like. Um, the, the port in his most imperious mode for Man City is striding forward with the ball at his feet and then arrowing a pass uh, out to the left winger, which takes like a couple of opposing players out of the game with one ball. That's the port, right? And instead it's like you've got this great orchestrator, this great conductor, you know, like imagine an orchestral conductor who is now... Actually, what you've got him is he's on a desert island. He's marooned by himself, and his job is to find a way to crack open coconuts. Right? Yeah. His skills are useless. Like it's, he's in a situation where he's out of his comfort zone, and it's just it adds up to a really like a, a really vulnerable defense. And Jared Bowen and West Ham showed this with such such simple attacks. Now I have to say that Bowen's finishing was unbelievable. Right, because I didn't think either of the chances that he had, I didn't think he was going to score either of them. First one, especially, I thought was brilliant. The first An one was when he when, when he was at, ended up at the tight angle, and then with a defender sliding back to cover the rolled finish, and he he managed to whack it over the defender. That was that was. I thought the second one was it was it that cleanly? Hit? I wasn't sure. But he didn't seem to be that well set for the second one, but sort of found a way. Well, I didn't. Again, you know, I didn't think he was going to score. The the first one was a brilliant finish. The second one. I still kind of can't believe it went in. And yeah, you've got I mean. to look at Ederson and think, like, okay, the ball goes through Fernandinho's legs, which always makes it more difficult for the goalkeeper. You know, like the he shoot he shoots sort of through the legs of Fernandinho. It's it's he gets a bit lucky the way that happens, I guess. I mean, if he's meaning to do it, then fair play. Even more credit to Jared Bowen. But I did feel Ederson just sort of let it go past him pretty easily. It wasn't into the corner, you know. Um, maybe that's what happens when I guess he was quite advanced in his position. You know, like Ederson obviously does like to, to get out of his his goal mouth, um, but that's not always the best place to be when you're when you're facing a guy who's actually going to shoot from just outside the box, uh, and the ball is past him before he can react. But um, at this point, you're thinking, well, this is you know, I mean, now City are in big trouble. Two 0 down away to West Ham with the way that they've been playing this season. Um, they're probably not going to win this. This suddenly, everything is opened up. And it did look, of course, like they were going to win it. I mean, Grealish scored the goal. Did you see Grealish's reaction to scoring? Uh, I didn't. Nothing he didn't, me, he didn't even smile. He didn't. <laughs> he, oh, yeah, yeah, he, What were you going to say, Grant? No, I just, I, I didn't take note of uh, his reaction. He didn't smile. Well, I mean, you're not supposed to smile. 2-1 down, after 49 minutes, you score a goal. Let's get back to the halfway line. It's it a, was. A, an ideal opportunity for you to show that you're a, a top pro 
it was business like he ran back with a worried look on his face and it was like yeah and then obviously then there was this the, an own goal uh, a spectacular Keith Houch and own goal uh, diving header by Sufal mm-hmm. and then um, and then this penalty and just Maris and this is another strange thing why are City so bad at penalties because mm-hmm. you've seen Maris right Maris has not only missed uh, against um, Fabianski in fact he was Fabianski's first victim he was the first first guy who, who he stopped scoring penalty in the, in the league back in 2016 but his his record in the Premier League is at the moment when he steps up to take a penalty seventy percent, which is like well below um, average. You know, the, again, if I say the average is eighty three, like eighty three percent of penalties are scored, then um, to a guy who's only scoring seventy, is this really the best guy we have? You know, you're looking around the City team, going, really? You know, I can remember Mara's missing a big penalty for City before against Liverpool at Anfield if you remember that game that was in uh, mm-hmm. in 2018-19 City ended up winning the league um, that season of course but early in the season they drew nil-nil at Anfield and Morris had the chance late at the end of the game to win it and missed entirely um, so you're kind of thinking this is really their best guy and then you look around and actually he is the best option I mean, if you look, if you do it statistically, Maris is the be- is the best penalty taker. De Bruyne's success rate in the league for City is sixty six percent. He misses yeah. he misses a third of his of his penalties. Sterling's on the bench. He's actually only scored three out of seven. Like, how have you been? How have you been able to do this? Like Cancelo has never taken one. Grealish has never taken one. Um, I mean, who else was in the team? Rodri has has a hundred percent success rate. One out of one. But you can't let Rodri take it. Like Je- Jesus also had a has a. Has Rodri's a, a decent striker of the ball. I remember that that goal he scored a few weeks back. I know, but imagine Rodri. Like Rodri's not a goal scorer. You know, I mean, he's he has he actually has scored a few goals uh, this season. He scored important goals. I mean, there was the one at Arsenal that sticks out in memory. Um, he but like, you know, you've got players like Mars and De Bruyne. They can't let Rodri step forward in that moment. They have to be the ones to take responsibility. And it's just a, it's a real shortcoming that City needs to look at. I was saying, I, I mean, Klopp mentioned in his post, and I know this is this is one of those those classic things where oh, you know, you're not doing enough on this. But I, I do sort of think actually it is time they they got on top of this, like. Um, just does Pep believe? Do, does Pep think it's uh, beneath him to actually coach players to score a penalty? Like he doesn't have to do it. There's just so much more uh, important things to, that happen on a football field. Well, he he literally doesn't have to do it. I mean, Klopp mentioned they got in touch with some that Liverpool had got in touch with some firm who had said, mm. uh, you know, oh, we can help you to we can help your penalties to your players to be better at penalties. And Klopp's like, oh, okay, well, you know, if you want to give it a go. I mean, they have done things like this, you know, with the throws. Uh, and so on. You know, Liverpool have kind of moved into this area of micro coaching areas, and um, this—I mean—the penalty record they've had this season so far has been pretty good. Is it? I mean, in, in shootouts, it's like uh, what is it? I mean, they they had eleven penalties, scored all of them in the, in the Carabao Cup, and then was it seven penalties uh, and scored six in the in the FA Cup, Cup final? final yeah. This is pretty good. I mean, City are not. Uh, you know, the city have have been. Uh, you know, I mean, again, this is all before Liverpool miss like four out of five in the in the Champions League final. You know, these <laughs> these type of things can happen. But I do th- I do wonder if the situation at City has like when Mars stepped up and missed. You thought, okay, well, one thing Fabianski is is really good at this, and and it's just 
it's just kind of an ironic thing that he ends up facing like the best goalkeeper at this in the history of the Premier League just at the moment when he needs to score to win the league. Um, but they do need to get a bit better at converting those chances. Uh, and it's maybe something that they need to uh, need to think about over the summer. But um, afterwards, Guardiola, well, he had a lot to say, but uh, I, I noticed that one key message kept being repeated. I mean, here's post-match interview number one thing. This is with being sports. That I can assure you our Etihad Stadium will be sold out. And here's post-match interview number two. I think this one is BBC. And I'm pretty sure that Etihad Stadium will be sold out. And just in case uh, people hadn't been watching his TV interviews, he uh, says it again in the press conference. Yeah, just I can assure you something. So in one week, our stadium will be sold out and we will give them all our lives in 195 minutes and they will give us their lives to all together to do it. It's an incredible privilege. I don't, I find this very odd. I, I just, you know, I just don't understand why he's making such a big point about the Etihad Stadium will be sold out. Of course it's going to be sold out. It's the last home game of the season. You're playing for the league. Like anyone would sell out. You know what I mean? It's like, it's kind of a mad thing to sort of, well, he's having to tread carefully, isn't he? Well, he's, uh, he's trying to rally the fans to create an amazing atmosphere to help get the team over the line. He doesn't presume, need but he to has to be a little that. careful on that because, uh, yeah, but other times he's tried to do that. He's ended up basically just criticizing them and they haven't taken it too well. Well, okay, there has been a bit of that where he, sa- he said, you know, we need, yeah, we need the people. Yeah, I, I, I see what you mean. Okay, maybe that is why he's, why he's doing it. I mean, uh, yeah, it's it's sort of interesting though. I just sort of thought, yeah, I mean, of course it's going to be like that's not a that's not also, even in doubt, yeah. you know. But and it's please, also, please, sorry, my friend, just please, please, Ken has accepted my uh, as, as though I know what's going on in the mind of Pep Guardiola. I haven't got yeah. a clue. It's just it's just my best guess. I think you might be onto something there. You might be onto something because I, I couldn't really get. I couldn't really understand why he kept that. Like because when a manager sort of repeats a line, it's because he wants that line out there, you know. And this was the line out of everything he could have said. This was the thing that he kept repeating. I can tell you one thing. The Etihad Stadium will be sold out. You're like, well, <laughs> I mean, yes, but uh, but why he might say it like that? Okay, on that is mm. that is a good theory. Yeah, and there's it, it's a huge thing for fans of teams other than Man City to throw back in their face now that their manager had to go and plead that it would be a sellout uh, seven days before they have a chance to win win well, the Premier plead, League. He promised. Yeah, well, you can read it as, as promising. Another way of saying it is that this has to sell out. That's why I'm mentioning it. I mean, there, there can be no empty seat. It just seems like a strange thing. I've never heard I've never heard a manager promise that a, like a massive a, like title-deciding game is going to be sold out. It's just like, mm. well, of course, of course it will be. <laughs> That's why I'm saying he's pleading, not promising. Well, he has promised. He's not pleading. He's, he said he's guaranteed. He's issued a personal guarantee. It's just, mm. it just seems like, an, like a redundant point. It's like, yeah, any other obvious stuff you wanted? You know, a lot of people will be sitting on chairs, although mm. they will stand for a lot of the game as well. <laughs> you know, like, okay, well, we intend to get our fans off their seats, although they will be sitting in those seats at times. You know, like, okay. Um... Look, uh, it's all. What the the point about it is that against expectations, certainly the expectation that I had last week when you saw City um, absolutely demolish Wolves, you know, in the, with that sort of De Bruyne wonder show, um, kind of thought they will finish the job this weekend. They haven't done that. Instead of which, they're up against um, Stephen Gerrard. These all these former Liverpool people, um, <laughs> you know, and Tyrone Mings as well. I mean, you know, a lot is is resting on the sturdy shoulders of, of Tyrone Mings here. Uh, you know, can he um, 
can he keep Man City at bay? And, uh, you know, the expectation would have to be, probably not, but the expectation equally from, from the City West Ham game yesterday was City will win this game. So expectations at this point of the season, no one, who knows? Uh, although the expectation that Thomas Tuchel had uh, of his uh, defender, uh, Andreas Christensen, was that he would um, play in the FA Cup final. But no, uh, because mm. Christensen uh, just hours before the game told Thomas Tuchel, actually, I've got a funny feeling in my tummy. I'm not sure if I can play today, coach. Uh, can I be excused? And uh, Thomas Tuchel said, yeah. And uh, then Chelsea put it about that this had happened. <laughs> Andreas Christensen obviously is leaving Chelsea on a free transfer but he leaves now with the jeers and catcalls of the Chelsea fans in his ears as opposed to um, you know Chelsea fans who might have been saying I mean okay it hasn't been such a great uh, season for Christensen he's had a few injury issues um, but if you if you think back um, just to October uh, that was the time at which um wasn't that, wasn't that the time sort of Denmark were kind of confirming their World Cup qualification? And I remember the stat going around, Andreas Christensen, 42 clean sheets in his last 52 games for club and country, which is like phenomenal. You know, I mean, the Denmark, I think, played their World Cup qualifiers and didn't let in a goal, I think, in their first nine matches or something. Yeah, it was something ridiculous. Yeah. And then obviously Tuchel had taken over at Chelsea and had kind of reduced the goals against kind of almost to nothing. And Christensen was a big part of that. Um, actually, since then, it's only nine clean sheets in 24 matches, which shows both that the goals have started going in a bit more and he hasn't been playing as many games um, as he had been. Um, but, uh, yeah, so it's it's just an interesting little thing that Ch- Chelsea decided to sort of publicise this yeah, what, you know. what was what was his, his actual reason? Because obviously he's leaving the club. Uh, so was it just n- not wanting to get injured ahead of moving, or, or why would he why would he not have wanted to play? I doubt that's it because uh, because you know I mean it's not like what's he got on this summer like holidays? You know Denmark already qualified for the World Cup. Uh, you know uh, you know it's not like he has to. Oh, I've got massive games at Denmark. Maybe they're playing Nations League or some nonsense. But you know I mean. I don't think he. I think that's a major concern for him at this point. This is a chance to win a trophy. Remember, Chelsea have lost the previous two finals. You know, this the third final in a row that they lost. You know, an almost and Mason Mount like run of Wembley defeats for Chelsea as a as a club. And uh, I I mean I assume that he actually was sick, or you know that he that he was that he didn't feel up to playing. You know, I mean it's not quite. It's not just a question of do I feel like absolutely the best I've ever felt in my life. It's Am I capable of playing against Sadio Mane today? That's mm. you know, it's it's kind of a different it's a different standard. Maybe he just thought I'm I'm not up to this. If I play, I'm going to let the side down. But as it is, um, it sounds as though he's pulled out of the game because, or or a lot of Chelsea fans rather seem to have taken the impression that this guy uh, was has pulled out of the game because he's leaving. He doesn't care about the club, and he didn't want to put put his body on the line for us. Well, we're we're well rid of this guy. When they might have been thinking, God, you know, he's this guy's one of the best young defend, one of the best youngish, let's say, defenders in Europe, and uh, he's walking out of our club, and that seems like we've made a right mess of that situation. You know what I mean? So um, yeah. Chelsea playing the crowd there, I guess. Uh, what they're going to do with Lukaku, I don't know. I mean, Tuchel just abusing him from the sideline. <laughs> you saw the scenes in this game, like, oh my God! But you know, he had a really terrible game again and and obviously no one knows what's going to happen there this summer it seems as though if Tuchel is still there then maybe 
it would be best for everybody if Lukaku was to was to go because I just don't feel as though he can. You get to a point with a coach and a player where, like, the lack of respect is too obvious. You know what I mean? Well, that, well, that point came. I I, I thought quite early on in the season that even after Tuchel held him to task over his his comments about the game plan and that sort of stuff mm. they, even then there was another I think it was a week or so later Tuchel was sort of still banging on about that and you're, going, you're like okay it's finished now you said he's apologised yeah. so it's done you're still talking about that and then anytime you're given any opportunity to to go easy on him or to say something nice about him yeah. you really don't take it so I could, you can also see the frustration from the manager's point of view that he's all this money was spent on this massive player who's supposed to transform the team and actually yeah. it's just if anything it's had the opposite effect so yeah. it's a mess of a situation I think. it is and, and he's yeah. obviously trying to avoid uh, trying to separate himself from the responsibility for that 100 million pound lead balloon although then again, the, the the big picture situation of the club has changed a lot. Uh, so we we don't even know yet who's gonna who's gonna be owning. I mean, it looks like probably Todd Bowley, but it's not it's not done yet. So we'll see. Just on the Christensen thing, though, um, yeah. it's sad that uh, on the same weekend he he misses out probably entirely justifiably with his stomach problem, stomach bug. Uh, Hugo Lloris and uh, Dejan Kolosevsky just heroically battle through their own their own vomiting bug, just puking everywhere. But what? But nevertheless, struggling out in the field to be there for Tottenham, to be there and to drag Tottenham into the Champions League. Did they puke um, on the field? Oh, apparently they're puking, puking all over the place. But in the words of Antonio yeah. Conte, they showed they are very professional and understand the moment well. The players were not in one hundred percent physical condition. But Hugo is our captain. He never. Never wanted to miss this. Well, game. I, I thought at the COVID age, the the safer, the, the professional thing to do was if you're sick, you don't go into work, regardless of. They should. They understand. You're not supposed to spread well. any bugs around the place. But listen. Um, so yeah, that's that's an unfortunate contrast. Cruel contrast. A lot of people I know also sickens his stomach by the disgraceful conduct of Liverpool supporters. Oh yeah. House of Commons Speaker Sir Lindsay Hoyle said, "I utterly condemn any fans who booed Prince William at Wembley." The FA Cup final should be an occasion when we come together as a country. It should not be ruined by a minority of fans' totally shameful behaviour. In this year of all years, the Queen's Platinum Jubilee. This is dreadful. Uh, Karen Bradley of the Tory party, former Culture Secretary, also added, she's an MP, it is utterly unacceptable and disgraceful that fans booed Prince William. I would urge the FA to take all necessary action and pursue those responsible. <laughs> I mean, it's like they have to pursue about 40,000 people. Um, Sir Ed Davey of the Liberal Democrats. We have the most wonderful monarch. Those fans who booed do not represent their clubs or our country. I'm sure they don't. They wouldn't They would say we don't represent the country, but they do represent their club. Uh, Michael Cole is a former um, royal correspondent, apparently, who appeared this morning on... Good Morning Britain and uh, had this to say. Every time, every time someone forwards me on something from Good Morning Britain, I'm like, this is going to be good. <laughs> say, Some of the shit that gets said on this show is just, it blows my mind. It's, 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 early, it's early on in the day. People haven't had a chance to wake their brains up to avoid oh, saying man. stupid shit. It's just, so. It never misses. Every time someone sends me on a link from that show, it's just gold. Well, I think decency and taste and discretion come into it because... 
Well, it's but very, what's very, the punishment well, then? If you, if you, for instance, for bad taste. if you booed the national anthem in certain Protestant parts of Belfast, you might come off rather the worse. It is a provocative thing to do, and you saw... Not because of the law, though. I mean, that, no, no, that would well, be a, a terrible know, thing. Fr freedom of speech does have its limits. You can't, for instance, not shout fire. You're not endorsing something, someone coming off badly because they no, no. do that in certain parts of the UK. Well, it, certain areas are illegal. I mean, you cannot commit slander without being... open yourself up to being sued for defamation. You can't shout fire in a mm. crowded theatre mm. uh, and if there is no fire. Tom, and there are limits and you cannot throw yeah. around racial epithets without being arrested, yeah. possibly put in jail. So I'm just calling for a little bit of decency, a bit of niceness, a bit of courtesy and respect for our 96-year-old yeah. monarch who has served this country you, for seven... Well, it does the question. Yeah, and the, the Good Morning Britain house there, Susanna Reid, had a, has a that good... That poor uh, woman, by the way. Every time I... Uh, and every time I see a clip, she's trying desperately to keep the conversation on planet Earth. I mean, <laughs> she might be the hardest working woman in show business. She has a sort of a polite but cold, like, frosty yeah. smile. Which yeah, she, yeah. she was slightly, slightly narrowed eyes, but, like, it's like the, the eyes don't light up with mirth. You know, this permanently sort of, this sort of disbelieving look on her face. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. The show, the show probably goes on for like five hours, and she could be a ray of sunshine for the four hours and fifty-five minutes. I don't see. Well, she, Every time I see one of these clips, she's like, "What the hell are you talking about, boss?" She ga she gave that cold smile when when uh, Michael Cole suggested that you know it's a pity the UVF weren't around to kick the shit out of Liverpool fans, <laughs> you know, and. Uh, uh, although I suppose, I suppose the implications that the Chelsea fans really let the side down by failing to chastise them. But, you know, I did think it was interesting that he thought his mind immediately went to Belfast and not, you know, somewhere on the mainland to, you know, to where the most devoted patriots would be, you know, <laughs> like, uh, what about Glasgow? I mean, you know that as, as we speak, as we speak, tens of thousands of Rangers fans are setting sail or uh, taking wing uh, to uh, the southern Spanish city of Seville, known uh, to history as the headquarters, as the headquarters, headquarters, as the headquarters of none other than the Inquisition. So all I'm saying is, all eyes are going to be on Seville uh, over the next couple of days. All eyes, uh, including those of Graham Soonis, a Rangers legend and a Scottish football legend and a patriot. Um, I wouldn't say and a Liverpool legend. I mean, he's the guy who almost brings this all together. I don't think that he would boo the Queen. I don't think that he would. Um, because what Graham Soonis wants overall is to see fans behave, particularly Rangers fans. As he says many, many times in this video, which was tweeted by the official Rangers Club Twitter account. Hi, guys. This is a message for everyone going to Seville. Go there, have a super time. Support your team. Our team has done incredibly well in getting there. And you think the journey we've been on for the last 10 years to be now playing in a a serious European Cup final. Fantastic achievement. They've done their bit, now it's your turn. You have to turn up there, behave yourselves, have a party, but make sure you behave yourselves because you're going there as an ambassador for our football club, our great football club, the great Glasgow Rangers. You must go there and behave, otherwise we've got all the trashy headlines which would damage us for a long, long time. Please go there and behave yourselves. Have a super time. So that's Graham Sears uh, using the word behave four times in the 19 seconds at the end of that um, thing. Just please, boys, please, please uh, boys and girls, please just go out there and, um, you know, put on a good show.
um, behave yourself. But not the kind yeah. of show that, you know, our enemies in the media are going to want to turn into uh, the wrong sort of headlines. You know, none of us wants that. So let's enjoy, let's enjoy the game. Let's enjoy Seville. And let's, uh, above all, behave. Never forget the true nature of this city. Listen, you screwheads. Here is a man who would not take it anymore. A man who stood up against the scum, the dogs, the filth. Here is someone who stood up. And this bike, by the way, I'd only had for two weeks. What happened to it? Dublin happened to it. Dublin has kicked the shit out of the bike. There was a few minutes when I blithely believed that I lived in a civilized city. I arrived home. It was already dark. There was rain and mud everywhere. Oh my god, this town! So I thought to myself, no need to drag my bike through the house, given that all I'm doing is, you know, getting changed and getting my stuff and going to the pool. So I'll just leave it here beside the front door. Not on the street. I was in the house for probably for eight to ten minutes. What the fuck? I said, I don't know. I haven't put up like an agent. Just give me some. And there's nobody on the street. And it's dark. And there's not even any foot traffic. Open the door. Bike's gone. Oh my god, this town! It's actually been taken from outside my front door in an eight minute period of being unguarded. And this bike, by the way, I'd only had for two weeks. This bike was given to me by my brother. Oh my god, this town! And I'm thinking, why? What happened to it? Dublin happened to it. Never forget the true nature of this city. Right, well, we have ourselves a pretty interesting final week of the Premier League season. I think we can all agree on that one. On to talk about it. The 42.ie's Gavin Cooney. Hey, Gavin. How are you? And representing the currency, it's Dion Fanning. How are you, Dion? Hi, Owen. How's it going? Ah, not bad at all. Are you Are you fairly pumped for this final? I mean, it's been a long season, but uh, there's quite a bit still to be decided. Not least the title race after City left the door. Um, ajar enough to be excited about the title race for the final week? Yeah, definitely. I I'm kind of a little bit baffled by the idea that this that the draw at West Ham was a was a was a great result for Man City. Obviously, it means um, win win at home on your your final game, and uh, you City win the league. But it's it's still given some opportunity uh, to Liverpool. Not as much, obviously, as it looked like when they were when City were. 2-0 down but there is also the idea you know I, I think in some ways a defeat may have um, focused City's minds a bit more on what they have to do I, I just thought I was struck by Jack Grealish saying afterwards that uh, how excited he was uh, now at the prospect of winning a Premier League title at home you know uh, next Sunday and it, it was kind of it now it may be that Grealish, Grealish is watching it from the stand and is as excited as any other Manchester City supporter <laughs> ah, in in the in the ground. But it did strike me as a little bit like, okay, this is this is this is going to be a fantastic carnival uh, um, next Sunday, and I, I think it's 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 not as good a result for Manchester City as that kind of commentary would suggest it's better than a defeat though you said there that you think a defeat would have focused the minds even further surely surely just the fact that they know they have to win will keep the minds focused enough yeah possibly yeah probably but at the same time a defeat would be kind of nobody nobody would be coming going around saying after defeat this is uh that's a that's a great great result for manchester city um whereas whereas the draw 
perhaps allowed them to think now it's 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 still in their hands and the one thing a defeat did was uh, allowed Liverpool notionally at least a chance that they could win it no matter what um what city did if they over if they were to overtake their goal difference and again and then the the other crucial thing of course is that Liverpool still have to beat beat Southampton on Tuesday and at the moment i think they are they are struggling in some ways to to win to win any game comfortably um, so that's something that still needs to be if we're going to if you're going to get it to the final day with with a real uh, excitement or get it to the final day, all that needs to happen. Yeah, that will happen. That'll happen. Southampton will roll over, I think, but we'll see on Tuesday night. <laughs> well, they will. Uh, Southampton, like you know, everyone's on their rolling, uh, Every year, sorry, every year people start wargaming the fixtures at the end of the season and. Uh, forgetting that you can't really look, we might get on to Everton at some stage. But like, if you had war gamed Everton's last two fixtures with Watford and Brentford, you wouldn't have said one point. I uh, know. I just, I just think Southampton have a real soft underbelly. They, they are a team that likes to, you know, get hammered nine nil on occasion and six nil, and you know, even this season they've had results like that. So I, 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 they seem like good opponents for me to be playing. I take your point there, and Brentford, Gavin. What about the halftime team talk from Pep Guardiola, which was apparently low on technical detail and high on emotion? It was all about how much he loved his players. That's how he turned it around. Yeah, I, maybe to, to borrow the phrase that John Bruin has been using on this podcast, did he just ultimately say to get it launched? Because that is ultimately what they did in the latter uh, in, the, in the latter part, stages of that second half. I think they just upped the intensity. They were very weirdly torpid and kind of off-key in that first half. Um you can put that down to West Ham coming out and having a bit of go, a bit of a go at them, um, and also down to their very fragile and changed uh, defensive line. But West Ham, I think West Ham invited the city onto them a little bit in the second half. I thought like their counter attacking game, uh, they just kind of forgot to do it until it got back to two two. Um, so I, th- I think that uh, that West Ham were almost set up inviting City onto them. They raised the they raised the intensity and uh, they did add a little bit more width in their game. I think in the second half and uh, you know Grillo Grillo's intervention uh, shortly after halftime certainly uh, was the perfect setup for them. Well, speaking of him, uh, there was uh, there was a couple of Irish has beens out there. Um, and uh, and at least one never never were uh, never was uh, an Irishman uh, in the form of Rice Grealish and obviously the dear suited apart Mark Noble. Uh, <laughs> and I just wondered when you saw when you saw Rice and Grealish, um, you know, disputing this uh, the, the destiny of the Premier League title. Uh, which one of them do you wish had stayed Irish? It's an academic question, but I just wonder if you know if you could only pick one. If you could, if you could pick one, which one would it be? Yeah, I'd pick Grealish. I have to say, um, just in terms of like a pragmatic, in, in terms of impact on the pitch. I mean, he would be. I mean, he would like him in the Ireland team would be very similar to him in the Aston Villa team. Now, like Martin O'Neill might still be the manager if Jack Grealish was uh, <laughs> decided he was Irish. But uh, he could have picked him. Yeah, uh, he, he could. He could have picked him, um, but had he picked him, um, I, only on my field. Did you see John. Greedish with that map? I mean, I'm not sure Greedish. Greedish would have played. You know, <laughs> I don't know if Greedish would have raised an objection. He was like, "You want me to play? Sure." You know, I, I'm not sure he would have necessarily been like, "Well, you know, I'd love to play, but on the other hand, that might close off certain possibilities." I had. Been Are you still over. talking about Jack Greedish declaring for England? Well, I didn't realize. There's oh, a lot until, going on until recently weekend. that I, you know. May I humbly suggest we? I just, <laughs> I'm just not sure how attached he really is to the to the idea of England, given that he literally didn't recognise it when presented with a picture of it. 
I just feel as though, well, look again, yeah, again, know. there's no point in. There's I no don't know, but I'm reminded. I'm this. reminded of him giving Prince William so lustily booed at Wembley on on Saturday evening. I'm reminded of Jack Reish uh, picking Prince William out in the crowd after Villa got promoted, and you know, oh, I but mean, he's a Villa. He it's not because it's not because Prince William is Prince William. It's because Prince William is a massive Villa supporter. Um, but also, I mean, Jack Reish. But he, also, that would he would fit in entire like the, the the obsession he was the Irish obsession with the royal family <laughs> is probably bigger than uh, my wife, who's English, find and uh, an anti royalist finds it extraordinary since we moved here. The amount of people who try and engage her in conversation about the royal family, and she's like, so like even in those terms, Jack Reish could have probably fitted in quite well, but. Uh, I don't think uh, I think I thought you were kind of getting the point, Ken. That if you know, if if a guy doesn't know where where he actually is at the moment, you could probably uh, you know you could probably persuade him that the regulations about playing for Ireland wouldn't you know necessarily stop him doing something else in the future, and we could have hoodwinked him into into playing for Ireland, which is also uh, hoodwink is a na- is a nasty word, <laughs> but simply the fact w- the fact would have been that he would have played and. You know, uh, and, and I suppose he would have had to accept it. He, would you agree with? Would you agree with Gav that he's the? He's. I mean, again, I, I can actually sense Owen's irritation. He didn't say anything, but I can slightly sense his irritation that I'm asking I've this tried, question. I've tried. I failed. I'm, I'm going to take a back seat for the next. Couple well, minutes. this is really this is a question about Ricey. I mean, did you think Ricey ran the show? Did I think Ricey ran the show yesterday. Yeah, did you, did you think Ricey, Ricey dictated the game to Man City? Do you think Pep Guardiola was sitting there and Ricey, powerless no, to stop Ricey running the show? As a, you know, this is, we're talking about 120, maybe 150 million pound rated midfielder now. No, I didn't. I, and I think to go back to the point about uh, West Ham in the second half, I think that's when you would have wanted somebody to... Uh, to override perhaps the fatalism coming from David Moyes on the sideline <laughs> and uh, uh, who came out afterwards and said we did well to keep them only to two goals um, in a classic David Moyes uh, you know, example of, you know, this is, this is a fantastic, uh, we, we only let in two and missed and saved a penalty. And I think, but I think you wanted a midfielder at that, at that point, it would have been, uh, that would have been the real time when you see a midfielder kind of driving West Ham forward and kind of getting them uh, out of the kind of defensive mindset they had got into. So you know, I did. I didn't see that, and I would. I think to quickly answer that the, the, the question, I would definitely have Grealish um, if if there was to be one, because again, international football, I think he would have. Um, it wouldn't even have been at Aston Villa. It would have been if Aston Villa were relegated. Uh, that would be, you know, you'd just have a player who would have time on the ball, who would creating chances, um, and I think he would have been a, a huge player for Ireland internationally. Gav, do, do Man City look vulnerable at all to you? Well, they certainly looked vulnerable in the first half yesterday. I mean, their their backline is pretty stitched together now, I have to say. Uh, Fernandinho's definitely showing his age. Uh, Laporte, is, uh, Laporte is a very strange defender. He was outstanding in his first season. And you're wondering, you know, France and Spain are going to fight to the death over this guy. And he's just so, looked so rickety since, you know. And then the replacement, Sinchenko at left back, is prone to lapses in concentration. And they really miss Kyle Walker. Um, they really miss his pace on uh, to cover counter attacks. Really missed it, particularly yesterday. Like he had both the pace and physicality to deal with Antonio, whereas Fernandinho had neither, and he really, really struggled. Um, so I think they look vulnerable in that sense, and that's where Aston Villa are an interesting test 
this weekend because Gerard, I think Gerard might go after, will go after this in, in one respect. They've looked a lot better since they've got Ings and, and Watkins in the team. Both of them caused Liverpool some bother in the, in that game against uh, at Villa Park last week. So I think they're, like if Liverpool fans and uh, <laughs> Stephen Gerrard, uh, chief among them, is uh, clinging to something, they can cling to that. But uh, it's just, you know, further forward, they just dominate the ball so much and they just strangle the life out of games. And if their if their mentality is right from the off, which it, I don't think it was at West Ham, um, it's, it's, it is really hard to see those defensive vulnerabilities being exposed by uh, Aston Villa. Yeah. I mean, uh, Villa's record away to City since the takeover is played 10, lost 10, um, scored 4, conceded 34. Which is actually quite similar to West Ham's record against City since Pep Guardiola took over at uh, at the London Stadium. But, you know, um, they show that weird things can, can sometimes happen. Um, the, other, well, the other big match over the weekend, I guess, was the FA Cup final, which is on Saturday. I saw lots of uh, comments to the effect of, the Cup is back! Um, do you think it? Do you think it is in any in any meaningful sense? I was kind of like, I'm not sure, I'm not really sure why people are are saying this. To you know, what I'm not really sure what's different about this. It's you know another final between two of the big teams. That's usually what happens. Um, has there been something, some rejuvenation of the cup? Or is it just a bit of bit of uh, positive thinking? Um, I think it's probably that Liverpool fans were paying attention to the cup. And they may have been saying it because uh, it's not something they've been doing. So as Guardiola would have it, well, obviously you've got Liverpool in the final, and suddenly people care about it. Yeah, I'd say that's that's uh, that that folk, and I suppose because of it, the context. Again, the cup usually matters now when there's a kind of greater context to it, and because of of Liverpool's season and what they're going for, and the fact that as the game went on, it became something that seemed to be pivotal for their matches. To come, I think it probably injected it with more meaning. If Liverpool had finished seventh in the league and were out of the Champions League in the last sixteen and uh, had won nothing else, I don't think people would would have uh, have given it as much meaning as they were giving it uh, at the weekend. But ultimately, so, so where where does the meaning come from? Are you, are you saying that like? Uh... This is a game where they're under pressure. If they don't win this, then everyone's then they go from being a team where, whoa, you know what a great team. You know this will this will be one of those teams that's that, that's famous. You know that people talk about in later years to, oh, you know what a joke. They'll be famous for losing it all. Well, yeah, I think. Well, also, I think because they have another game on Tuesday, and it's when the, when it went into extra time, and players are going down, you just got this sense of of an exhausted side, and could they? cope with the could they cope with a defeat in this final for what and what would it mean for the rest of their matches this season so not only would they not have have the FA Cup they would there would be a consequence uh, for the for the remainder of the season so I think it, it had that impact as well and I, I do think I think that is I think that is what the FA Cup now has like it has it has um a merit if there's if there's a other if there are kind of other storylines around there it kind of sometimes it lends a weight to them but I don't I don't think it's back I think um, there would probably have been if if Liverpool had lost it there would probably be a number of Liverpool fans wondering um, why did they why did they go so far in the competition why did they have to have these games um, when they were in you know when the, when the league and the Champions League. Are, are the trophies that they they really want to win, and I think that the the sense of Liverpool having 
and a, a kind of generational memorable season is based on everything they're doing rather than necessarily winning the FA Cup and and the Carabao Cup. I think it's to do with the fact that they you know they've lost three matches this season in in all competitions that they they are going for everything but it is based in it is based uh, largely around what they've done in the Premier League and in the Champions League. Yeah, you mentioned that they've lost only 3 uh, in all competitions which is a, which is an impressive number. But Gavin, why do you think they struggle so badly to win games against um top opposition? I mean, this is uh, the ninth game. I mean, if you just like English opposition, um Chelsea and Man City being the two Teams close to them, and I'll add in Tottenham as well as as the sort of uh, most likely to be fourth according to the according to the odds. So let's let's take Tottenham as the fourth place team. They've played nine matches against these uh, three sides, eight draws and one win. Uh, why can't they um, Why can't they win these types of games more regularly? Mm, it's it is strange because previously under Klopp they had a really good record in these big games and this is going back to you know these are the failings of the old Rafa Benitez team you know where they went they pushed close, United close in, in 2009 but couldn't get over the line I think they might have won the league a, a season earlier had they not lost home and away to, to Man United I think that's right off the top of my head I'm not sure I think there's an element of Liverpool used to win these games in massive bursts like goal scoring bursts you know you can remember doing it to City uh, in the league and in the Champions League and like that and they're they don't play like that anymore. They're a lot more. I mean, like the addition of Thiago probably symbolizes that. That they're they're more, they're slightly more patient um, uh, and methodical in their build up, and they try to like they get through games, they manage games, they they do just enough to win. I mean, you know, it would be oddly fitting if Man. I don't think it's going to happen now. It would take a very strange run of results for Man City to win the game and go, win the league on goal difference, but. Liverpool don't like go for the go for the juggler to the extent where they used to because now they know that they're secure enough at the back that they can just do enough to get through games. But I think that that has maybe affected them in those big games a little bit. Um, now they did swarm all over. Oddly, in the FA Cup, you've seen them. Uh, it's been a bit of a throwback for them in the sense they swarmed over Man City in the first twenty well, that's minutes. The one, that's the one win, the, the three-two win against that, Man City. Yeah, the, that's the, the one, and the, the only win out of the nine. And in fairness, they did swarm all over uh, Chelsea in the first fifteen twenty minutes of the cup final, and you know they could easily have been two or three up. You know they they did start brilliantly, but I think maybe it, maybe it's partly that there have also been in defensive defensive lapses, like the defense isn't quite as tight as it used to be like they do give up more chances than they used to to so what, what do you put that ago. down to what do you what do you put that down to because because obviously the thing that gets lots of attention is, is the high line and, and you know let's not go let's not go into that because we all i think we all understand why they're doing that and you know when you've got var offsides a lot of these chances aren't as it's it's not as dangerous as it as it sometimes looks in real time because a lot of these chances have been offside but why do you think this why, why is there that sense that uh uh, it's not as not as good as it used to be. I'm not sure. And look, I'm partly prob- probably being swayed by the fact that all these, you know, there's so many of these chances are offside, but because they're not flagged, it gives you kind of a false impression of... Uh, of the momentum of the game, you know that Liverpool are more secure than it actually seems in the flow of the game because these uh, these chances aren't being flagged as early as they would have been a couple. Is of Virgil van Dijk a shadow of his former self? <laughs> oh, it's, a, it's a real it's a real question. Yeah. I don't think so. I think maybe the issue is slightly more in midfield. I mean, the, the midfield is a lot more creative now than it used to be. I mean, the the workman like this somewhat workman like midfield that won them the league. Um, what two seasons ago in the Champions League, three seasons ago, you know, you had Vinaldum and Henderson. They were almost like 
like auxiliary fullbacks at times, allowing the other two to push on. Um, now you see those. Well, Henderson is still there, but he plays. You know, he he's pushed on a lot more. Like Liverpool, I think have, have tried to um, have tried to score more goals this season. And I think that it has been their most successful goal scoring season. Um, and teams are getting a little bit better about say, you know. A, um, Identifying the space behind Alexander Arnold and, and behind uh, behind Robertson, and they just they just give up. They you know there's I think Liverpool are slightly more exciting to watch than Man City because they just give you more chances, you know, and they're they're so reliant on on Allison to make saves one on one. So I think and there's there's just they're not quite the impenetrable edifice that they were in that uh, in those two seasons where they won the European Cup and and uh, and Premier League. But look, I mean these are small margins. Like they might end up winning both this season, um, and the conversation changes. But I mean there is a definite trend of they haven't. They haven't won those big head-to-heads, and you know you can't argue with a failure to win the league if you can't if you can't beat the yeah. teams around you. Yeah, absolutely. And um, just one other thing, obviously, rising was a good fun. I think um, Gavin you already mentioned it, but uh, you know, don't forget here, as Steve Sullivan said, we're all Irish, so maybe we're we're not qualified to comment on that, and yeah, maybe we are qualified to comment. Well, I mean, as Dion mentioned, we're, we're far more interested in the Royals than most of the English. <laughs> yeah. What What do you think? What do you think was going on there, Dean? We, we had a uh, bravura performance the Liverpool fans before the game they booed abide with me first of all Were they, I'm, I'm not sure if they if they thought maybe they were about to play the anthem and just started booing uh, but they certainly uh, booed God save the Queen and they booed uh, the figure of the sad figure of Prince William which prompted uh, angry headlines in some of the uh, tabloid press over there the next day um, can you uh, can you explain to us what was going on there um, yeah, I, I think it's it's kind of obvious what what Liverpool and Liverpool supporters would think of uh, the British establishment, if you want to you want to call it that. And um, isn't it, Jacob Rees-Mogg a Liverpool supporter? Excuse me, Jacob Rees-Mogg is a Liverpool supporter, is he? <laughs> is he? Yeah, well, um, definitely his kids are. I'm not sure. How right. Okay. Um, he is. Well, I think yeah, that's uh, that's. I think I think he probably watches from afar, um, and or maybe he he gets his kid's nanny to uh, who's also was his nanny I think as well um, uh, to watch the games with them. I can't imagine Reese Mogg watches them. Um, I I think I think it's it's been a standard for Liverpool in 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 cup finals for many years. I I, I can remember uh, um, Liverpool and Everton fans. Now there were obviously circumstances then. As well, but uh, that were, were particular to the occasion. But Liverpool and Everton fans singing, chanting "Merseyside" over the over "God Save the Queen" uh, in the nineteen eighty nine Cup final after Hillsborough. Um, and if you look at Hillsborough and you look at what happened with Hillsborough, that alone, that uh, the 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 way that the families have had to fight for for justice on that on that tragedy alone is reason enough for Liverpool fans to be. Um, booing the national anthem, and you know if if people feel sorry for poor uh, uh, forsaken Prince William, um, uh, then I think he's gonna he's gonna be okay. I I think it's I think it's a, it's it's unfortunate in the sense that it's become you know people people I I expect this week to unfold with Boris Johnson being asked what he thought about Liverpool fans. Um, Booing, booing the national anthem and Prince William, and which allows him to, you know, to kind of ratchet up another front in 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 the culture war, 
Um, but I didn't, I didn't think it was was notable or significant at all if you understand Liverpool history and and its its separate its its sense of feeling slightly separate from from the rest the rest of England. So I think the abide with me thing. I agree. I think there was some some uh, some confusion. Um, about what 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 was coming next, and that's why Abide with Me was booed because I don't think it's anything that Liverpool supporters would have any issue with, and the rest of it then just becomes, uh, you know, another one of these these issues that people uh, are happy to people like Boris Johnson are happy to answer questions about um, rather than talking about the things that really actually matter to people. Gavin, the relegation situation is kind of amazing at the moment. I, I was just sure Everton would, would win. Uh, well, I wasn't sure Everton would win, but they had the opportunity to win and finally secure safety, which they haven't done now. So it's going to be such a nervy week for them. Leeds got a late equaliser. Burnley sort of as expected lost to Spurs, although maybe some people felt it unluckily so. Uh, it's set up quite well for the last week, but uh, I suppose the question is, who do you see going down out of those three? Um, like, I mean, like all logic keeps telling me that Everton won't go down but they do quite they, they do appear to be quite determined to do so they just but can't I, quite get out of it oh. I just uh, I think maybe Burnley but I, like I say that with absolutely no confidence I just feel like and again this is just me investing in something that doesn't really make sense but I feel like they've invested in their new manager bounce they've got a very good return from it actually um, mm. but now it feels like it's you know creeping creeping down a little bit but I mean uh, so what did I watch? I watched Everton uh, Brentford on Sunday. Like Everton games, particularly a Goodison of the last few weeks, have been appointment television. They've been absolutely they're unbelievable. Yeah. They've been absolutely yeah. magnificent. And like you, you know, I have this caricature in my head of Frank Lampard as you know, quite you know, a stiff, upper-lipped English gentleman. He's <laughs> he's hysterical and he's chaotic. It's it's been amazing. It's been amazing to watch. And I think, in fairness, like. I think he. Uh, I don't think he is the best manager in the world, and I'm not sure if he keeps them up how much longer he lasted Everton. Like, I mean, there's no, there's no rhyme or reason, or there doesn't seem to be any kind of methodical process to what he's doing there. I mean, I, I was looking at it earlier on. I think only once since he took charge has he kept the same formation after a defeat. Now that's partly been, you know, he's partly been his hand has partly been forced by uh, by injury and so on, and he has had a bad run of in- injuries but you know there is something kind of quite reactive and quite cr- chaotic about him he's like that on the sideline but I think what he has done is leaned into the chaos a little bit and he's he has ridden the wave of the Everton crowd like I mean Everton can count themselves lucky that they're having this season this year rather than last year like I mean if they if this was happening last year in the empty stadium I do think that they'd be gone already um, so what oh, you got- think hang on you think the crowd is the only thing keeping them up I but, <laughs> Maybe not fair to say the only thing keeping them up, but I mean, it had a massive impact, particularly in that game against Chelsea. Um, wasn't that decided by Aspilicueta fouling up, if I'm remembering correctly? Mm-hmm. I do think that that has had a massive, massive impact. Um, and, you know, Everton aren't, you could say, they're leaning into the chaos. They didn't manage it well yesterday with Braithwaite getting sent off very early. I think that crowd has had a massive impact. I know they did finally win an away game, was it against Leicester, but the home form is, is what's going to keep them in the division. And, you know, for... You know, the, we've heard a lot about the Goodison groan and, I mean, Everton fans would have a lot of reason to be, uh, you know, an open revolt, like they were earlier on in the season, to be honest, like toward the board, etc. But they have come together and for all of uh, for all of Lampard's um, 
drawbacks and frailties and uh, weaknesses as a manager, he has ridden that wave quite well. So um, the Palace game, I think that's at home on Thursday. Um, and if they win that, they're safe. <laughs> um, again, I don't have any confidence that they will win it. And then it's Arsenal of the weekend. And I know that uh, I know that Everton fans might be thinking that God, Arsenal be going for top four. We would have liked to have them have that tied up before the last game of the season. But history teaches us, I think you're better off facing Arsenal when they have something to play for than not, because I think that makes them more vulnerable. Yeah, it's such a nervy week. You say you're a Leeds fan, Dion. You're just sitting there all week waiting to see what happens in the Everton Burnley game. Because at the moment, the point they got at the weekend looks really good in that it was uh, it was really late on. It was in injury time, and it takes them out of the relegation zone. But that that's dependent on Burnley on what Burnley do on Thursday. So Burnley are away to Villa, uh, as Gavin says. Everton at home to Crystal Palace on Thursday night, and then it's down to the last day of the season. What way do you see all this shaking up? Uh, I think Leeds are going to go down. Yeah, you're um, back in back in Burnley. Well, yeah, I just think it's like Leeds have Leeds have been so terrible, and uh, I, I it really saddens me. I, like I, I want, I would like Leeds to stay up, um, uh, and I, but I just think if Burnley if Burnley get a point even on Thursday, it's just you know you're just asking Leeds then to. To, to win to win their last game of the season more than like just well maybe be, a draw because if they were if Burnley, yeah. if Burnley were to get a point they'd be level with Leeds now with much better goal difference so yeah. then potentially a draw for Leeds would be enough in the last day if Bernie were to lose on the last day yeah well that's but so yeah but like to be really yeah maybe that's that's maybe that's Leeds pathway um, <laughs> is just complete implosions all around them everything um, need to be Crystal Palace though because playing against Arsenal is, yeah. is is no good. Like, I, I mean, think Everton will like. I think Everton will be Palace. I I do. Um, I think they will. Like now, we we talked about this earlier. You would have said that they were going to beat Watford and Brentford um, last in the last you know two matches, and said they've come out with one point from those. So anything is possible with them. But I think if they if they like that game is such like that's it you win you win that and you're and you're done now I know they had that against Brentford as well um, and and the manner in which the the way they the ways they find to, to sabotage themselves are as Gavin says kind of just remarkable it's uh, it's kind of relentless but I do think they they should beat Palace and then and then the it is between Burnley and Leeds and I just feel like you know Leeds got. You know, it was a great point to get against Brighton, but it's just again that's a game you think right. This is to be to be to be scraping a point um, in that match doesn't suggest that you're really that it that it's going to work out well for you. You've both politely avoided mentioning Seamus Coleman's screamer of an own goal, the glancing header. So we'll we'll like Coleman's had enough stick, I think, this season. So we we'll leave that You put the boot into him there. Time, just, yeah. <laughs> well, it was no, it was unfortunate. I mean, listen, we all love Seamus Coleman, but uh, we'll wrap things there. Thanks, Dion. Thanks, Gavin. Thank you. It happened to be on the dart. Time to be in this motherfucker. Like we always do about this time. Okay, I'm going to reveal a piece of information now. Well, I haven't, I haven't smoked a cigarette in four days. <laughs> What I'm saying is this guy, cheer up. How about you fucking wake up? Last time I took the dart, I was over to split. Wake up. Wake up to what's happening in the, in the world. Hey, Pat, do you want to split? Pencil. <laughs>
fair bit covered today, as always, on Monday's football podcast, Ken. But one story that I don't think... I'm trying to remember when this started snowballing. We might have been in London at the yeah, time. We were but, yeah, so I don't think we've actually covered the Newcastle... The New Jersey. There's a, there's a little bit of a, a controversy over there proposed Jersey for next season. Well, you know, the reason we didn't mention it, because we, we, it would have fit in very well into the chat we were having uh, on stage. But the reason is that at that point, I, I was still assuming it was a joke. Or it was a fake, or it was a wind-up, a troll. Like when I when I saw it, I was like, "That was with with, with John Bruno and Lars Siverton, yeah, yeah, yeah." Because yeah, we, we, you know, we we discussed some issues of sports washing and so on and so forth, and you know, Messi being out in Saudi Arabia and just Erling Haaland's Hall- personality, which is a slightly different kettle of fish, but it's a good. Show. We'll we'll try and play some of this for you later in the week. What whatever's still whatever's still uh, viable at that point. But what we didn't talk about was Newcastle. Because I didn't realise that because you thought it was there were people just taking the piss at well, the time. Well, I, I, I was like, is this real? I, can't, I, I couldn't be sure that it was real. And I didn't want to be in the position of, oh, we've just spent, you know, a few minutes talking about something which turns out to be fake. So, I, I you know, uh, yeah, yeah. So, so unfortunately, um, we didn't talk about it. But like, so they put out, the, or they didn't rather, the, leaked, these images are leaked, showing a, a Newcastle, you know, second kit or third kit, I'm not sure which, um, which is essentially just a copy of the Saudi national team home shirt. It's just, it's a white shirt with like green trim. It looks a bit like an Ireland away shirt, you know, um, green badge, Newcastle badge in, in green, uh, all, all green and white. <laughs> it's just like, you can't, are you serious? This is, but but uh, it's literally uh, Saeed O'Aran, you know, from yeah, <laughs> it's like, the Cup. exact jersey that he was wearing as he ran eighty yards to score that goal. Some goal, Omer. Ah, unbelievable. It was a bit of a kind of a. There was a few ricochets, fortuitous ricochets off. Ah, Ken, would you? Piss I don't think. Off. It, I actually don't, don't take think don't take that moment from him. I don't man. think it's among the top World Cup goals. Actually, just because he ran from a long way out, you know, it, I think it was a little. There was an element of fortune. I'm not well, putting it in the, the top yeah. ten of Anton here. I'm I'm just saying it was a bloody good. Goal. It That's was all a I'm good, saying. I mean, if you're looking back at the, the, the entire history of the Saudi Arabia, no, let me speak. Let me speak. <laughs> let me speak. Let me finish. <laughs> if you look back through all Saudi Arabia's uh, uh, games in the World Cup, tell me that's not the highlight, Ken. Just tell me, say those words to me. No, I won't. I think nah. it, it. I think nah. it probably was the highlight. There that and the, and the moment, Please. and the moment which which where Gianni Infantino looked to first to uh, Vladimir Putin and then to uh, Mohammed bin Salman with a kind of a. A grin on his face, and and they all had a little chuckle. That was that was a real high point as well. But what I was surprised was to see um, some reaction from Newcastle, which was strongly against this. When, as far as I can see, all other aspects of the Saudi uh, takeover by, by it have been warmly welcomed so far. So I'm thinking, what's the difference here? Like, what what imaginary line has been crossed here? I mean, there were obviously still some some voices who who were strongly in favour. You know, this is this is smart business. You know, this is just smart business. You know, we'll sell more shirts in Saudi Arabia. You know, like you're going to sell so many shirts in Saudi Arabia. Like, maybe I just thought, maybe I mean, there's 35 million people who could sell 70, 80 million home of these Newcastle home shirts. I mean, I wouldn't I wouldn't necessarily be surprised if that happened. Um. But but more of, more often I saw a kind of a oh hang on I'm not sure about this and I just thought well what do you what's the problem here is it just that this makes it too obvious what's happened here is it is away it that, jersey to own the libs yeah no I mean come on well I mean there's there are some people who are doing that but there were there were people who were who were like no I'm not sure I'm not sure this is too much 
Um, I can see uh, Luke Edwards, for instance, in the Daily Telegraph was writing, many fans feel this is too much to stomach. It feels too blatant. It gives the impression Newcastle are being used. <laughs> and I thought, well, yeah, that's it does give that impression. And that's the problem. It spells out explicitly what's just been kind of implicit until now, you know, which is that Newcastle fans are, are like, you know, the parents of a cuckoo. You know what I mean? They're they're like they're like those little birds that are bringing up. Uh, they've got they've got a cuckoo in the nest, and they're kind of coming along and standing with you know, encouraging it on its way, and it's kind of it's going to grow up to um, hitherto unheard of dimensions. Um, they're tending to this thing that's it, but that's and that's kind of that's where they that's where they're at, and this is this is like oh, they cook this thing look, looks a bit weird. I, I mean, this plumage that the thing is developing doesn't look like either of us. But uh, I suppose that's just the way it is. And I just, I just think, come on, like you got to take the rough with the smooth, surely, right? You know, if you if you've been bought out as a, as a kind of a, uh, and you're now uh, a marketing vehicle for um, Saudi Arabia, then you know, suck it up, suck yeah. it up. Like, is it because be it's the shirt, Ken, in inverted commas, and uh, or capitalized, whatever? It's because right? it's because it's, it's right like, there in front of your eyes. That's the way people. And I know it's not, but it's not just physical. There's there's a symbolic. You know when people talk about their their club, right? There's, you know, you talk about various parts of it, but no. Okay, some people do care a lot about the stadium, and certainly back in the day when naming rights first started happening, that was, you know, that there were some issues with that. I'm not just talking about Newcastle, like various clubs in, in various sports. But really, when the, what gets people worked up is the idea of representing the shirt or mm. the jersey. You know, it's always, that's always talked about. That's the most emblematic thing of the club more than anything else. I'm just trying to, again, you thought I successfully got into Pep Guardiola's head. I'm now trying the even trickier task of getting into the head of Newcastle fans who suddenly think this is the line that cannot be crossed after all the lines that the Saudis have crossed in recent times. And I I don't know, there's just, maybe there's something about the jersey that feels like it's on a different emotional plane to anything else to do with it. Well, you can't ignore it, right? I mean, you can ignore the other stuff, but this is right there. You've got Newcastle literally running around in Saudi Arabia costumes you know what I mean like it you can't it, it's just you can't just put it to the back of your mind or pretend it's it's not a thing that's happening I mean you can see it literally there but but I read the the I, I always like to read Luke Edward's articles as a indication of I mean he's covering obviously the story the story so we'll see and and uh and, and as, as I read the article it's the one that I that I mentioned earlier which he'd said it feels it feels too blatant it gives the impression you guys are being used um it sort of turns into a bit of a complaint of it, like a kind of a whine about Saudi Arabia not having given enough money yet. You know, the Telegraph under sport understands the kit was chosen in conjunction with the manufacturer Castore, but someone at the club signed it off. Someone had to think it was a good idea. Perhaps the most ludicrous thing is that beyond Premier League survival, Newcastle haven't really received any of the benefits of being owned by PIF yet. They're the richest club in the world in nickname only. They're not behaving like it. I thought, what? Weren't they the top spending club in the world in them? Um, in the January transfer window. Yeah, but Chris Wood doesn't roll off the tongue in react. That's true. Uh, that's very, very true. Although, you know, that was, I guess that was Eddie Howe's call. Only this week, manager Eddie Howe, following similar off-the-record briefings by members of the club's board, warned there would not be a huge amount of money invested this summer. Words like prudence have been bandied about. Oh, <laughs> the dirtiest word of all. <laughs> the dirtiest word. Get, prudence. Get, get, that, get that word prudence out your fucking mouth, Ken. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> PIF have pump, pumped significant money in, around 100 million since October. But they have not shown any willingness yet 
to sign the sort of generous sponsorship packages Sorry. that have turned Manchester City, owned by the ruling family in Abu Dhabi, into one of the world's richest and most powerful football clubs. The world's richest, actually, the world's highest earning. Um, so far, all they have got to show for being effectively owned by the Saudi state is 93 million in the January transfer window. Well, look, maybe they're sticklers <laughs> for financial fair play. They just don't want to potentially get on the wrong side of anybody at UEFA maybe, or elsewhere. Maybe they believe in, you know, waiting until the transfer window opens for them to start spending more money on transfers. <laughs> look, maybe that's it. Maybe they, maybe maybe that's the thing they're they're planning on doing. All they've got to show for effectively owned by the Saudi state is 93 million in the January transfer window. 25 million of which was spent on the 30-year-old Chris Wood from Burnley, who, as you say, doesn't roll off the zone in Riyadh. Where is all the Saudi money that was hinted at when fans were celebrating the takeover? Where are the new sponsorship deals? Why is Howe operating with such a relatively small transfer budget this summer? Again, we don't know what the transfer budget is, but all we know is that Newcastle haven't been going around saying, we're going to spend untold obscene sums of money in the transfer window this season, which would be kind of a crazy thing for them to put about before they actually had to start doing deals. Maybe the fact this is only a change in kit colours is the problem. Newcastle are being dressed up to look like the Saudi national team, but the might of the Saudi state has not been used, at least not yet, to make them resemble a successful football team. Mm. So not that, enough sports washing. Gotcha. No. Well, it's like, it's just you haven't you haven't paid enough for that shirt. It, re- it reminds me of actually, I don't know if you've seen Les Miserables, the bargain the scene, the bargain with the Tenadiers, the two, the you know, when uh, Jean Valjean comes to buy Cosette from, like, the corrupt innkeeper and his wife who've been looking after her. Oh, remember, the innkeeper. Of course. Tenadier. What I'm just not ready. I'm, I'm, I'm what up. to say? Shall you carry our treasure away? What a gem. What a pearl. Beyond rubies is our little girl. How can we speak of debt? Let's not haggle for darling Colette. Cosette, Cosette. <laughs> Look, all I'm saying, Owen, is... Oh, wow. Look, the deal just needs to be sweetened. You know, if, if Saudi Arabia wanted to, ch- you know, change the colours, change the crest, you know, all that stuff, whatever, whatever they, whatever it is they want to do, you just need to throw a little, you know, you cross the palm of silver. You can't be, can't be giving this stuff away, you know? So oh, Beautiful um, voice, Ken. I haven't heard that for too long. I can't wait to see, I can't wait to see uh, the next idea uh, yeah. that, that we see rolling off the conveyor belt in Newcastle. It's the final week of the Premier League, the title race, fourth place, relegation, all still, all still to play for over the next few days. So we will obviously have coverage throughout the week on the World Service. You'll need to be a member to hear all of that. Thanks, Ken. Thanks, thank you, Owen. Thank, thank you, Owen. Thank you, Ken. And thank so you, much music. For listening. And thank you, musical theatre. That's all I can say. Thank Just... you, Victor Hugo. Mm. What to do, what to say. Shall you carry a treasure away? What a gem, what a pearl Beyond rubies is our little girl How can we speak of debt? Let's not haggle for darling Cosette Dear Fontaine, gone to rest have we done for your child what is best? Share that bread, shed each bone, treated her like she's one of our own, like our own. What is that? That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. It is not war and death and famine, it's not that at all. It's the opposite of that, it's to persuade the world outside of that. That's why sport's important.